to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Brooker. Today, I am talking to Sebastian and Diraj, the co-founders of Ascot and Charlie, a contemporary luxury footwear brand with an ethos of simplicity and harmony. I'm going to peel off a little information that you can find on their website, which is ascotandcharlie.com. Ascot and Charlie is an adventure started in 2018 by a band of friends, unrepentant travellers seeking out the finer things in life. We had experienced firsthand the difficulty in finding products that resonated with us and our values, products that struck the balance between elegant design, quality and durability without compromising on their origin, raw materials or respect for the environment. As someone wise once remarked, if you want something done well, do it yourself. So was born Ascot and Charlie out of the quest for beauty and harmony, driven by an unflinching sense of optimism and positivity. And here is Sebastian and Diraj to talk about Ascot and Charlie in their own words. Um, so my name is Sebastian. I am French uh, from the west coast of France, Brittany. Um, I studied in Paris at La Sorbonne and uh, ECP Business School. Um, I have been living in a few different countries over the last 10 years, uh, China, India, Switzerland, to mention but a few, with pit stops in Paris all the time, of course, um, as my family and most of our business partners are based there. And I, uh, I created Ascot and Charlie a few years ago in 20, 2018, and I am now uh, dedicating most of my time to what was initially a passion project and has now become a lifestyle for me. Interesting. Diraj, over to you. Sure, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm British Indian, uh, and like Sebastian, I've had um, quite an international cosmopolitan life. I mean, um, I did undergrad in the States, in New York, and then was back in London for a while. did my master's in Switzerland, in Geneva, and then over the last few years, uh, I've been between Amsterdam and Paris. Uh, and, um, you know, we started Ascot and Charlie, uh, I'd say, late 2018, it was mm-hmm. August 2018, um, just because we realized ourselves that... Um, it was time to tap into our creative energy a bit more, but also uh, because we, as customers, we wanted things that we saw just weren't available out there for, uh, especially for male customers. Um, so I think that's really where it started. And uh, it's, we started with sneakers, but the whole idea really is that it's, uh, uh, that it's grown to a real lifestyle brand with, um, you know, an ethos of, of really good quality products made fairly locally in Europe um, and very much, you know, a brand that's about relaxed elegance. So um, I, I think that was the, the genesis really of, of, of Ascan and Charlie. Interesting. And Diraj, you, you mentioned there that you're looking for something that wasn't quite in the market. So exactly, can you just drill down on that a little bit more? Um, so I think it's it's when we realized ourselves, you know, when I wanted to buy sneakers, for example, you know, and I mean like five, six years ago, uh, there weren't really too many brands that were out there that were comfortable, good quality, uh, and weren't exactly your high street sort of fast fashion kind of brands. Um, and I remember, you know, back in the day and sort of in, in a previous life when I, I had a corporate job uh, and in London you'd buy sort of, you know, your <clears throat> leather shoes at, at Russell and Bromley on, uh, on, on Oxford Street, but there wasn't an equivalent, you know, for sneakers if you wanted nice, elegant sneakers. Um, and I think that's when I realized, um, and I think it was once actually... Sebastian yeah, exactly. I, I think the um, immediate trigger uh, one day was when I bought a pair of sneakers for about 200 euros. I won't name the brand, obviously. Um, I literally gave way in a week. 
yeah. I think I worked for yeah, I you know, a couple that. of days and the leather and the stitches started tearing. Uh, and was literally shocked that you know customers had to pay for things like that really and obviously advertised as good quality products um but yeah apart from that it was um, a real desire i think to do something creative uh, and tap into i mean my and our creative energy yeah. but yeah i mean to answer your question there uh, you know it was really that i mean we just noticed that um you know sort of when you're younger and less conscious as a customer you obviously end up um, buying a lot of things from, um, you know, fast fashion or high street brands, obviously, because you're also not necessarily making as much money back then and you don't necessarily have the means. Or you don't necessarily yeah. know. And, and you don't yeah. necessarily know any better, you know, you just sort of, you know, walk the high street and, uh, and, and buy whatever you see. Um, I think probably like, you know, younger generations are going to be different in that they really just, you know, grow up with uh, with Instagram and social channels all the time. But they're a lot more aware today. They're, they're a lot more aware, but I think, buy. yeah, exactly. Well, us, you just, you know, so what was on the high street and you bought it and you didn't realize back then. So I think um, it really came about that way because, you know, there just weren't options then and, and you were almost kind of confused or, um, you know, slightly frustrated at uh, at how there wasn't anything that, you know, of quality that you could pay for and something that would last and looked good. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And we were just speaking offline about how I've kind of just come into new things in my early 40s, like looking at where things are made, supply chain, sustainability and all that. And, it, you know, because I've fallen into the trap of just buying, say, three pairs of trainers, let's just say for under 100 quid, and I won't name the brand, thinking, well, I'll wear these into the ground and they'll be good for dog walking. But yet they don't last two laps around the block <laughs> and, and I'm already a hundred quid in the hole. And I'm thinking, well, I could have just bought, you know, these, I could have invested in a decent pair of trainers that would have lasted a lot longer than that. Um, but those are not meant to last. They're, yeah, not, exactly. not, they're not built to last. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sebastian, um, could you talk about, uh, so this was your kind of passion at the beginning, um, 2018 mm-hmm. we're talking about, can you talk about how you went about raising the capital and maybe also uh, how you got introduced to Diraj, how you two met? Um, we actually, we had a, a number of m- mutual friends. Uh, yeah. and we just, um, I, I think it was in the expat team really, because you it, were expat in, it was in, posted in, in right. India at the time. Um, exactly. Uh, uh, I was between London and Bombay, and we had lots of you know mutual friends. Um, I had a lot of French friends in Geneva, and uh, yeah, I think it was um, yeah, uh, just um, our friends' cousins actually. Exactly, yeah. and uh, found that we have um, a lot of common interests, um, especially on those um, and and those things. And I don't know, just immediately clicked, and we just decided to um, start building something together. Yeah. Right. And did you then, once you had the idea, did you look to kind of seed fund it or crowdfund it or did you put in personal wealth? No, it's, it's mostly personal savings. It's actually only personal savings. Um, right. We've always been privately funded. Uh, this really was our intention from the beginning. Um, and I think we really intend to stay privately owned. This is uh, something that is very important to us. Um, we both had full-time jobs in the beginning and had I mean, obviously, very logically, uh, had to go slower than what we would have liked to. Um, but it taught us a lot and obviously made us realize the importance of perseverance and discipline. Um, as any entrepreneur will tell you, it's really not easy at first uh, in the beginning. But, you know, try and make wise decisions and power through. In the end. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, that was definitely 
quite important because you know we didn't want to go down the whole sort of raising external capital and mm-hmm. pretending to be a, an independent counterculture kind of brand. Meanwhile, we've gone out and raised you know um, whatever million from from private equity investors or something. That wasn't what we were looking for. We really wanted to keep the ethos as as an independent, privately owned brand and and also work with you know sort of like privately owned smaller. Um, businesses it really was um also about creating a community around what we do and yeah and be able to make our own choices as well um yeah so like you know sebastian mentioned it was definitely slower in the beginning because obviously we didn't have as much capital as we'd have liked to invest in everything at once you know you always have to then kind of prioritize between inventory and marketing but you know, with time, it, it, it things begin to fall into place, uh, even though you don't see it uh, in the beginning. But yeah, now three, three, not three years in, we're beginning to see it, it's it's all falling into place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Great. Well, the trailers look great, guys. Congratulations. Uh, talk us, uh, talk to me about the uh, the concept, and also we tapped upon some sustainability elements. What? is actually in these trainers, where are they made? Uh, Sebastian, maybe I'll throw it to you. All our, uh, our sneakers are handcrafted in Italy. Uh, it's a very small um, family-owned atelier in Tuscany. It's a family business. So um, the person we work with, um, the director of the atelier, um, actually inherited that atelier from his own father. And it's been like that for a few generations. So we're, it's, a, it's a super uh, small community of people we work with. Um, and, and this is super important to us um and to know that um uh, the, the full ecosystem of, of craftsmen and women work there interesting and what were the conversations like early on um i don't know if you had them or you did Diraj, about some of the design elements do you have ideas of what can go into the trainer and then do they tell you what's possible um i think what well, so sebastian does a lot of the designing yeah. the sketching but um we we had the conversations jointly I and mean, we were quite lucky to have found this atelier it's a real you know pearl of an atelier i mean you know we sort of scoured um, factories and ateliers everywhere in italy portugal spain um and we realized like a lot of the ones in in, in portugal were a lot bigger a lot more sort of industrial scale uh, and we wanted you know really this the small one like sebastian mentioned so the design wise i think it was very collaborative we we had an idea of what we wanted um uh, I think Sebastian's the, you know, the quiet genius when it comes to um, designing and, and sketches. You know, he can spend hours sketching things uh, and not as patient, you know. And so go to them and... Um, and we, le- we learn a lot yeah. from experience as well. So we, yeah. we sample a lot of... Um, uh, we make a lot of prototypes. We sample a lot of, of products and we try them for months um, before we actually decide to, um, you know, to launch production and to release those um, those styles. Um, so it's it's really I think over the past three years we've really seen uh, some things that work, some things that don't work, and we sort of you know learned from our you know mistakes at the beginning, obviously with the help of with the atelier. Um, and yeah, I, I think we have um, a pretty good understanding now of, of you know how how um, how we can create stuff that you know resonate with people. Right, and and tell me, Sebastian, what transferable skills did you have from your job to this i mean I, look I'll, I'll tell you i do some sketching as well but it's not going to make me any money i do designs and it's not my girlfriend literally just tells me to put the pencil down at some point but the uh so did that was that something that you had earlier on in your career 
Well, when it comes to um, design, I'm pretty much self-taught. So I, I started law and business, so that not exactly uh, related to uh, to this. Uh, but, uh, Unless I you're drawing am, uh, like caricatures of judges and people in the, in the jury, you know. <laughs> No, I, I am uh, also a trained pianist. Um, so I guess it's um, some sort of a combination of discipline uh, and an understanding of harmony. I think my, my design philosophy is, is really guided by uh, a need or a sense of harmony. Um, I'm, I'm always trying to visualize how all our you know, designs and ideas can fit together uh, in something that resonates with people. Interesting. And, and I don't know if we've tapped on it really, but perhaps you can just elaborate a little bit more on what makes these trainers so special and kind of what sets them apart from your competition, would you say? Um, I, I think it, it's, it's really the quality. I mean, uh, we, um, we wanted to make sure really that we have sneakers that are built to last and genuinely use premium material. So our sneakers are all handcrafted and they're stitched, not cemented. So a lot of the sneakers that you find out there are cemented, which means um, the outsoles are actually glued to the insoles. Uh, whereas in more qualitative um, products and qualitative shoes and sneakers, you'll see that um, the outsoles are actually stitched. Um, so I think that's a form of construction that's, that really distinguishes um, quality shoes from, from more standard ones. Um, and I think in addition, just all the materials we use, so we use leathers from Mastrotto, which is, um, you know, one of, I think, the, the best tanneries in Italy. Uh, our outsoles are always Margon, which is really the reference for, for outsoles. Um, and so it really was about getting, you know, together really premium materials, um, quality craftsmanship at what is, you know, we think the right price for customers or, or at least close to that. But it, it, that's really the difference there is that most sneakers out there that you will see tend to be cemented, um, right. tend to be really more mass produced. Uh, these are, are really handcrafted by artisans, you know, so the craftsmen and women there spend, I'd say at least, you know, six to seven man hours per, per pair of sneakers. It's, it's almost 200 steps that they need to go through to, to make one pair. Wow. And is that something that you can ask, say, like the salesperson or the supplier? You know, you're, you're out shopping for trainers. We, we might not be on your website, but we might be out in a, a local store or whatever. And we might not be able to tell immediately by picking up the trainer if we're quite novices, whether these are stitched or cemented. But do you think we can actually ask the people on hand and they'll be able to give us insights? Um, hopefully. I mean, I think sometimes, of course, you have sales staff that that are well-trained and they know, um, um, you know, exactly what goes into the making of the sneakers. So with our pop-up store in Paris, uh, you know, we've we've really sort of trained um, our colleagues there, our, 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 our sales manager at the store uh, on sort of, you know, the making of the shoe. We've, you know, literally shown him a video on, on how it's made and we actually dismantled the shoe entirely. I mean, Sebastian sort of, you know, pulled it open for uh, for him to show sort of what the inside of, of the oh, shoe great. looks like, why it's stitched. Um, so I think that's, that's, you know, as a customer, I think you can ask stuff, you know, is it stitched, is it cemented, mm. um, are these handcrafted or, you know, where they're made. So it's, it's definitely something I think customers can start asking when they're, when they're looking to buy shoes. Because it will give them an idea. I mean, it's, the idea is not to throw the, the sales staff under, you know, on the spotlight, but to have an idea of what you're actually buying, right? I mean, because you'll also want to know what the quality is like and how long it's going to last. I mean, especially, you know, especially if you're paying good money for them. 
Um, so you mentioned you got the pop-up store in Paris. Uh, Sebastian, any, any ideas of coming over to the UK at all and bricks and more here in London? Well, I mean, we don't know what things are going to be in the next, um, you know, the next month, the next next years. Um, obviously, we are thinking of um, uh, opening more stores uh, across uh, France, the Benelux, and most likely in the UK in, you know, in the coming years. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is um, this something we already have started thinking about. Yeah, especially because we do get, I'd say, a good pre-Brexit, at least a good 30 to 40% of our customers online were from the UK. Oh, great. Um, so I do know that we have like, you know, we have a really loyal following from our online customers in the UK. So it would definitely make sense. It's just a matter of, um, of timing really, of figuring just a matter out. of time. You know, yes, I think. Yeah, obviously the last year and a half of, uh, of COVID hasn't helped at all because we haven't been able to travel and, sure. you know, but uh, hopefully now that things are getting back to normal-ish, uh, we can start traveling more and you know sort of start exploring things well that'll be exciting to see you guys come over here i mean trainers aside from maybe sun maybe watches i suppose and and sunglasses have a real community don't they i mean people if you're a sneakerhead you know they're really immersed in that kind of culture of collecting and and and, and buying these these sneakers Guys, I've got a I've got a personal question to ask you because I always find this with uh, the way that I'm built and the way that I walk, I always kind of wreck my midsoles before anything else. I'm pigeon toed, so especially when I have uh, sneakers that have got the white midsole, they always get really battered before anything else in the trainer. Do you have any advice on the aftercare of sneakers and especially the ones with the white midsoles? Yeah, loads. I mean, I think. You know, it's, um, we usually always recommend uh, to customers, A, I'd say the golden rule is, you know, avoid moisture. So you want to make sure your sneakers never get too wet in the rain. And if they do, you want to keep them as dry and possible as possible. Um, if you do have them wet, you know, you dry them right away and sometimes also use like um, talcum powder, you know, that works wonders keeping your, your sneakers dry. But in terms of cleaning them, it's just really um, making sure you always remove the surface dirt um, as soon as possible. I think that's something people uh, forget to do or wait uh, a longer time to do. So, you know, if they notice surface dirt on their sneakers on the outsole, midsole, or any part of the sneaker, uh, you want to take that off right away. Don't wait for a few days thinking, you know, I'll clean my sneakers next Sunday or, or, you know, if you notice surface dirt on there, just... As soon as you notice surface dirt, just remove remove it, you know. And then just a clear wax and a soft cleaning fabric, you know, definitely be the first thing to... uh, to think of to, um, to to clean your your sneakers and for the soles, um, I think one of the hacks I would recommend would probably just um, use a bit of toothpaste. It sounds a bit weird, but it's, uh-huh. it's oh, okay. That's interesting. Uh, and um, um, and soft cleaning fabric with a bit of um, uh, warm water um, and just rub the you know the sole with a bit of, of white toothpaste, of course. Uh, <laughs> Give it that minty glow. <laughs> and uh, you, you'll see uh, uh, miracles happen. Okay. All right. That's good to know. I'll, uh, I'll employ that in my cleaning aftercare of my trainers. Thanks. Um, well, gents, thanks for taking time out on a Sunday. We're recording this. I'm not sure when it will go out, but you've um, given that time in the, in the Sunday. So appreciate that. Ascot and Charlie.com, the place to go for people to want to 
invest in a decent quality pair of sneakers and uh, we'll keep an eye on you guys as well hopefully bigger things to come and you'll be over here in the not too distant future uh well, fingers crossed okay awesome all right i'll let you go thanks gents enjoy uh, thank you thanks Fantastic. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you, Diraj. And once again, the website, ascotandcharlie.com, is the place to go. We'll leave all the links over on the show notes over at menswearstyle.co.uk. More articles pertaining to travel, fashion, grooming, everything's over there. You can follow us on the social at menswearstyle. And if you want to come on the show, maybe tell us about your brand and your journey, you can email us here at info at menswearstyle.co.uk. Okay, and until next time.